Good morning, church. Hey, so glad that you're here this morning and uh, able to celebrate our risen Savior because we do know that our Redeemer lives. Amen. What an exciting life that we get to live in Christ Jesus. We know that he blesses each and every one of us every single day of the week, and we live our life in such a way that celebrates that blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. But thanks for coming together today to corporately, as a family, celebrate that risen Savior uh, together. So glad that you're here today. I want to say a special welcome to our guests that are with us. Thanks for joining us and being a part uh, of our assembly this morning. Uh, we hope that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst, and of course, we're Absolutely going to throw out the welcome mat and say, if you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to be a part of our Cross Point family right here to join us in telling the story of hope that is Jesus Christ all across Grand Prairie, in our neighborhoods, but all around the world as well. There are numerous ways to get involved in telling that message. You find out where your passion set is, where your gift set is, and get plugged in to telling the story of Jesus in that way. Maybe, maybe it's with our kids' ministry. Maybe our youth ministry. It could be going on a mission trip this summer. It could be staying local and helping uh, the homeless or getting ready for back to school, which will be here before you know it. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, I'm thinking about, I've already uh, dialogue with uh, Don Dietman, who is over in Kenya right now and uh, working with Sam's Place. We'll have some updates at the very end of service about that. Uh, but she uh, posted several pictures. I hope you've seen those on my Facebook, and we've tried to put some of those on our church's Facebook as well. But those kids are so excited about the gifts that you sent to them, and you can see their smiles uh, are huge as they're kind of cashing in some of that stuff and having a good time one with another. She sends their love uh, to you this morning as well. And I want to remind the guys in our congregation, if you haven't signed up yet, this coming weekend is the men's retreat at the Hills Church over in North Richland Hills. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that. Get online uh, with the Hills Church and uh, register for that event. It's a Friday night event and also Saturday. I think it's over about noon on Saturday. So you still got time to get home and get all the honeydews done or whatever is going on your list there. But we want you to be a part of that. It's a great time to be together and to fellow uh, with several hundred guys in a room worshiping God together. It's uh, something you don't want to miss. So make sure to check that out as well. Well, we are um, got two lessons left in our series on Enough. We're covering our theme this year and unpacking that through Scripture to talk about how God is enough for you and I, how Jesus has done enough for you and I, and how you and I are sick and tired of the world telling us a different type of story than God is enough. Amen? We want to lean into everything that God has for us this year in 2017, the blessing that he's got for you and I as we lean into his story, as we say, God, we want to become everything you've designed us to be. Help me become that person. Give me the courage to leave behind some bad habits and to lean forward into you and your story, what you have for me. I hope you've got your Bibles this morning because we're going to be in Matthew 26 and John 21. We'll be there in just a few moments. Most of that text will be on the screen and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. But today we're going to talk about enough time to start over. There is enough time in our life, at least today, we're not promised tomorrow, but today, there's enough time for you to think about starting over. There is enough time. There are moments when in our life we want to do over, we want to start over, we want to start fresh. And I'm thinking about a game I was watching about a week ago. 
I guarantee you, now most of the fans would like a, a do-over, but I promise you, everybody on that Dallas Cowboy football team would like a new start. They want a do-over. They want to have a chance at that again because they may have done some things differently if they had that shot yet again. There are moments in your life when you think, oh, I wish I had that time back again. I wish I hadn't eaten that entire box of donuts, but maybe next weekend I won't do that. I wish I had that moment back uh, again. I wish I had thought about selling that item in the garage sale because the price I put on it, it went real quickly. I did some research and discovered it was really worth about three times what I sold it for. I wish I had that moment back again. In my own life, I, I wish when I started with Walmart in 1985, I still had that stock. Oh, I wish I hadn't sold it for whatever I thought was important in the moment, but I did. I wish I had that moment back again. I might have a little more money in the bank. You and I have had those moments in our life when we wished we could get back something that we think in our mind we threw away. Man, it's just not redeemable. It's not possible to get it back. I'm thinking about a football game I played in 1984. I was living in Clarksville my junior year of uh, school. We were playing the Ozark Hillbillies, and yes, that is their mascot. (laughs) We were at their house, and it was raining cats and dogs. We were beating them very well. I mean, I was on the team. What can you say? It was a great game. But, you know, when the weather is like it is in this game, most, most everything doesn't go exactly how you'd planned. I mean, the, the normal plays that work for you tend to not work out nearly as well. But we were still winning the game. However, their defense had held us to about the 10-yard line. And then there was the end zone. We, we had to punt. It was fourth down. Raining cats and dogs. I'm on the punt team. I'm one of the blockers, one of the three blockers for our punter, who's also our quarterback, And we look over at the side, we're in our huddle getting ready to punt the ball, and we're looking at Coach over on the side. He's got all his playbooks in his hand, and he's saying, take your time, take your time. And from our huddle, it looks like he's saying, fake punt, number one. (laughs) Fake punt, number one. And we look at each other and we go, well, he's the coach, I I guess that's what we're going to do. Now, on fake punt number one, I get the ball. It's a direct snap to me. The uh, starting running back is beside me. I slip the ball underneath him, and he takes off running around the end. Well, there was total confusion, because in my mind, I'm thinking, we've never actually done this in a real game. (laughs) I'm not sure that I know exactly what to do. Now, I knew I was supposed to get rid of the ball, because I didn't want to get tackled. I knew it was going to be not a good day. So they hike the ball to me. I go to give it to Mike. Mike has already taken off. I've got the ball. So I take off. Now, our punter, who's also our quarterback, did a great fake. Oh, it's too far over my head. He jumps up. Ten out of 11 guys run back to tackle him in the end zone. And Tim, with the ball, runs into the one guy that stayed at home. (laughs) Man, I wish I could have that playback. 90-yard touchdown. It would have been great. You and I have had more serious moments in life, too. Moments when we wanted some time back. When we made a decision to do something that we regretted and we thought, there's just no way that's going to work out. No way that's redeemable. Like the moment you sat down with your spouse and told her about some indiscretions on your part, you remember the look on his or her face. 
The moment when you had to sit down with your boss because he discovered that you were embezzling from the company and taking things that didn't belong to you. The moment you used some kind of penalty with your kids that was really more than was needed and they've held that against you your entire adult life. The moment when you did something that you knew dishonored God and the minute it happened, you wished you could take it back. You and I have had those types of moments in our life. And today we want to talk about the idea that there is enough time to start over. There's enough time to be renewed. There's enough time to be redeemed. And we look at story after story after story in God's Word. And we're reminded of that. But when it's our story, sometimes we have a difficult time getting our hands wrapped around that, don't we? We think we're just not forgivable. There's no way to move forward in this story with what I've done to those around me. Last week, we were reminded that Jesus doesn't do away with the past. That memory is always there, but he does redeem the past. And thank God for that. Jesus, what he did on the cross, as Mike eloquently put in our communion thoughts, he's paid the price. He's done everything that's needed for us to move forward in our story with God. No matter where you might think you are, there is time enough to start over, to to be renewed, to be redeemed. I mean, you take a look at this very powerful figure in the New Testament, one that you and I know very well. He goes by the name Peter. Peter's one of the 12 apostles. Uh, But this guy is bold. He is outspoken. He is cantankerous. He is, you're not sure on what particular day he's going to be, which character. He is curious. He sits back and he watches. He's doubtful at times. He uses language that maybe you and I wouldn't use at times. He is a leader among the guys. He becomes Jesus' right-hand man. He's very vocal about things that are happening on a day-to-day basis in Jesus' ministry. At times, he acts without thinking. And yet, this guy, Peter becomes one of the greatest leaders in the church movement ever. He becomes a pillar at the church in Jerusalem where everything starts. And on this particular night, Jesus says, guys, I want you to get together the the Passover meal because we're going to meet in a room together. It's not just the 12 in the room, but several People are in the room together and they're listening to Jesus teaching. They're listening to the prayer. They're celebrating the Passover together, which Jews do every single year together. They're leaning into the table together. They're drinking together. They're singing together. They're celebrating what God's done in the lives of Israelites for hundreds of years. The night's getting late. And Jesus says... All right, we're, we're done with the supper. Let's, let's go down outside the city gate to the olive grove, the place where we can do some more meditation and some prayer, that we can speak to God one-on-one in the dark of the night. And that's where our story picks up in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. 
On the way, that's leaving the upper room going outside of Jerusalem, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never leave you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed to do the same. I find it interesting in this text that Jesus begins explaining about the denial of all of them, not just Peter, but all of them. He goes on to say, I'm going to be killed and then resurrected and I'll meet you in Galilee. And it's almost like they don't even hear that part of the story. They're still stuck on the denial part. And our very last verse reminds us that all of them, not just Peter, but all of them vowed to do the same. No, I'll die with you, Jesus, before I run away, before I deny you. But Jesus knows this night is going to be different. This is the night to end all nights. This is where human history will be changed forevermore. And they find themselves in this clip from the Passion of the Christ. They find themselves in the garden. It is dark. There's a mob coming with some torches to arrest Jesus. They're speaking in Aramaic, which they would have been speaking at the time, but there'll be subtitles in English so you and I can hear what they're saying. It's interesting how it all unfolds, and this bold, brash Peter makes an effort to live up to what he's promised, but in the end, they all run away. Let's watch together.
Bible. Kundi e hedla krova, pe krova e but. courtyard scene happens just after this. All of the disciples have fled. Jesus is taken into town to a courtyard, to a house, to undergo trial where he is beaten, where he's spit upon, where he's called names. And yet Peter, in his boldness, follows at a distance. He waits some time before he enters the courtyard where there's a, a charcoal fire burning in the middle. Yet he can still see Jesus. He can hear everything that's going on. And he pulls up a a chair around the fire and begins to warm himself. And people begin to recognize Peter from being with this rabbi. And they begin to ask him about that. Wait a minute, aren't, aren't you one of those disciples? And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, I don't, I just couldn't sleep and Heard this racket and I came to see who you guys were messing with now. Some time passes around the fire. He continues to listen to what his rabbi is enduring. Someone asks again, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure that you're with Jesus of Nazareth. You're one of his disciples. And and Peter says, no way do I know this guy. Again, I, I just couldn't sleep. I'm just here because this is the show that was going on tonight. And I thought I'd see what was happening. Some more time goes by and someone finally says, wait a minute, your accent is Galilean. I am almost certain that you are one of his disciples. And Peter stands up and for a third time says, I don't know that man. I don't know what you're talking about. I have nothing to do with him. One text tells us that he called down oaths, curse upon himself, if indeed he was anywhere near this guy related in any way. And it's then that Luke 22 tells us that Jesus and Peter locked eyes through the flame. And it's at that moment that the rooster crows. And the text tells us that Peter left that courtyard weeping in tears. I was the only one left and now I've run away. Now I have fulfilled what Jesus said I would do. I I wish I could have that moment back. Why couldn't I have been stronger in the moment? You and I would look at a movie with that type of scenario and we would say, man, he really messed up. There's no hope for that guy. He's gone way too far over the edge. It's too late for him. It's going to be hard for him to recover in that relationship. I mean, it's hard for us to move on in a relationship where maybe out of turn we we spoke harshly of someone when there were several witnesses around that heard us say those words, yet later we, we wished we hadn't said those, but you can't deny it because people heard you say. It's hard to move on when you've said hurtful, painful, relationship breaking things to those that thought they, that you loved them. I mean, in this moment, Peter has hurt the Son of God. 
He's left and abandoned his rabbi, his mentor, his best friend. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and yet I've just treated him as if he were a slave. When you drop the ball like that, there is no recovery. There's no getting back. For, For the man in life today, who wasn't around to really spiritually lead his wife or his kids. And now, years down the pike, he looks back and he wishes he could have those moments again because he's estranged from his kids. They're not walking in the way of the Lord and he wishes he had those moments back to pour into them. Or that lady who made some Decisions to make some life changes. The first of the year, she made some resolutions. And here it is, the third week of January, and she still hasn't followed through with those saying, next week I'll begin. That time is moving by, and we think, it's already gone. What's the point? Why move on? For the mother who poured into her career, and now, those moments she had with her small children, that window has come and gone. How can I get that back? And the list goes on and on and on for moments in time when you and I did not live up to God's expectation of us and we wished we could have that moment back to be different, to start over, to be renewed, to hit that reset button in our life. I mean, Peter could relate emotionally to every single scenario that we just mentioned. He was torn. He was at a low point in life, full of doubt and frustration in this moment and everything that accompanies that. I mean, how could a guy that spent the last three years with the Son of God, how could a guy that that leaned in every time Jesus performed a miracle, and many of those miracles are not even written in our Bible to read, how could a guy that leaned in every day to that authoritative teaching of Jesus Christ when he rebuked the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had reprimanded Peter how many times, we don't know. But Jesus put them in their place, reminding them of what Scripture was really all about and what it was for. How could a guy that had sat around the fire with Jesus for three nights and three years, metaphorically drinking coffee and swapping stories, Leaning in to everything that Jesus had for him in the way of hope and foundation and love. How could a guy recover and start over with what he just did? I mean, it happens to be human nature, doesn't it? To make decisions that we regret. Have you ever really thought about the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? And the dilemma that they faced? I mean, the only man and woman in the entire world. All of the animals lived in the garden. Everybody got along. There was no killing. There was no bad anything happening. Even the cowboys were winning. It was great. (laughs) God would come down in the cool of the day and walk. They had conversations. Don't you want to know what those conversations were about, what they were like? And God tells them day in and day out, listen, this entire garden I've created for you, it's all yours. 
You can go as far as you want, do as much adventure as you want, check out this side over here as much as you want. Oh, by the way, there's one tree right in the middle of the garden, just one. Stay away from it. The minute you get near that tree, the minute you eat of that tree, you're going to die. But you got everything else. And what does Adam and Eve do? We don't know how long it took them. Maybe for a while they sat at a distance and looked at it. Wonder why we can't go near that tree. God said don't, so we're not going to. But one day, human nature kicks in. And the one thing that they're told that they can't do, they go and do. Breaking their relationship with God. How many times is that your story and my story in life? I'm pretty good on this sin. I'm pretty good in this relationship. I'm pretty good over here. That one thing, ah, I just can't seem to get away from that. The one thing that they couldn't do, epic fail. But Paul reminds us about our condition in Romans chapter 7 when he writes to church in Rome and he writes to us as well. Paul says in verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. We are reminded in just a few verses how very much we need a Savior. How very much we need God And to be in his story, his message of hope that is in our life. But we all have one thing in our life that kind of draws us, that that we can't seem to overcome. Something that pulls us, makes us overstep that comment, never me, Lord. We go there anyway. And maybe for you, it's, it's being angry and outspoken. We saw saw some of that on Friday, didn't we, across America? Folks who were upset about the election, our new president. Wherever you stand on that, Christians are called to act a certain way, aren't we? Maybe for you, it's, it's the lust. That one thing that keeps pulling you back to that website. You have some great days, but then there's the one day of failure. The, the selfishness in your own life, the desire to follow a hobby or a team or whatever it may be that kind of keeps you at a distance from your family. The laziness maybe in our lives that, that keep us from participating in ministry and telling other people about the hope that is Jesus Christ. The desire to have really nice things in life and so we continue to work that 80-hour week making that paycheck so that we can have that house we want and the cars that we want, living in the part of town where we want. The lack of discipline maybe in our life that keeps us addicted to that bottle or that pill. Each and every one of us don't live a perfect life, but we need a perfect Savior. We need God in our life, just like Peter in our story needs God in our life. And when we realize that, you see, it's love is what pulls us back to honoring a life that screams, Jesus is Lord. It's the idea that I'm going to live love to the core in my life. And it continually prompts me to be the person that God has called me to be. That's why Cale mentioned our Connect Cards 
That's why we have those kind of in play right now. All it is is you saying, listen, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I want to do it in many, as many ways as possible. I want to live a life that screams Jesus Christ. And that's why we encourage worship together. That's why we encourage community through our connect group system. That's why we encourage participation in ministry instead of sitting on the sideline. That's why we encourage giving back to God a portion of what he's already blessed you with. You see, all of those moments, it's not an inclusive list, but it does help me draw closer to the person God's called me to be. And my guess is in your life, if you're like me, there have been moments when you, you have lived outside the circle of Jesus. When the flames no longer illuminate your face, but you're out on the wall, weeping, because you felt disappointed about a response in life that you've made, and you're wondering, can I start over? We know that the day after Peter's denial that Jesus was crucified, but we also know that Sunday he rose from the dead. And he is our living Savior. It's not the most important thing that's happened in the world, but it is the most important thing that's happened in your world. And that's something that you and I need to embrace and grasp and make part of our world. God is a God of second and third chances. He is a God that says, whatever you've done in your life, it is not enough to keep me away from you. I want to be a part of your life, and I want you to be a part of the life that I have to offer. And so after Jesus' death, can you imagine the emotion in the disciples' minds, what they're struggling with? Their Lord and Master is gone. They're wondering what to do. They've gone to Galilee, like Jesus mentioned, leaving the upper room, going down to the olive grove. I'll meet you. In Galilee, And so they go there and they do the only thing that they know to do, and that is go fishing. And our story picks up in John chapter 21, verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. And the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were about 153 large fish, and yet the net had not been torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. 
Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. That Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. There are only two times in text where, in the Greek, a charcoal fire is mentioned. One is at the denial of Jesus where Peter is. The second time is on this beach when he reinstates Peter. When he reminds Peter, you're not too far gone. Don't be so hard on yourself. I've got some work for you to do. Don't think that what you've done in life is going to distance you from God Almighty. I think it's painful. And why Peter answers the way he does after the third time, because Jesus calls him his first name, Simon. He's already renamed him Peter, but here in this text, he calls him Simon. The Hebrew translation for the word Simon is he was heard. Jesus is standing in front of Peter saying, I heard what you said. Do you love me? Peter is reminded, man, this is a tough day. Yet God stands before me in his son, Jesus Christ, and he wraps his arms around me, puts his hands on my shoulders. Because Jesus renames him Peter, which means rock, Petros, Cephas. It means firm, not going anywhere, being resolute, immovable, See, Jesus takes what you have done in your life, the things that you believe have distanced you from God, and he gives you a clean slate, a do-over, and as if I'd never done anything wrong type of life. Whatever you keep beating yourself up for, understand that God, through his son Jesus Christ, has already forgiven you of that. With your repentance, he puts his hands on your shoulders, and he says, I've got some work for you to do in my kingdom. Are you ready? Are you ready to get after what I need you to do? I'm giving you a clean start, a fresh start. I'm giving you a do-over. And we know 50 days later that Peter, not Simon, preached an incredible message of God on the temple steps in Jerusalem. And we also know that more than 3,000 people were baptized to begin and kickstart the church that day. Peter's whole story tells us that it's never too late for you. There's always enough time for you to come back to God, to reconcile with him, to say, give me the clean slate, let me start over, let me be the person you've called me to be. We all are in need of transformation. And with Jesus, it's never too late for that transformation. You are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are reinstated, you're re-empowered. You are loved by God. 
there is enough time for you to become part of God's story. So this morning, as we finish our time together, that's the question I have for you. In your life, what is that thing that's like an albatross around your neck? The one thing that you believe keeps you at a distance from God. Peter's story reminds us that each and every one of us can be forgiven. We can be transformed. We can be redeemed. There is enough time for you and I to start over. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but today, you've got the time. What are you going to do with that time that God's given you? Jesus Christ waits for you with open arms on that beach as the waves slowly lap up towards his feet. And he's calling you in closer so that he can put his arm around you and let you know that you're a child of God. What he did on the cross was enough to take care of the sin in your life. So how are you going to play that out? Are you going to keep on feeling sorry for yourself? Are you going to let other voices tell you that you're not good enough? Or are you going to listen and lean in to the voice of Jesus Christ as he tells you it's time to be redeemed? It's time to live differently. I've got a story I want you to be a part of. I've got a ministry that I want you to do. Well, this morning, Peter's story is your story and my story. My hope is that we will realize there's enough time to come back to God. And you and I will make sure that our lives reflect our love for him. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And maybe in your own life there is something that you need prayed over, prayed for. I want to encourage you to go visit one of our shepherd couples and let them uh, put their arms around you to pray for you, pray with you to let you know that God loves you so very much. I hope that you'll take advantage of that as we sing this one song. Let's stand together.